Welcome to another episode of The Southern Roost, a member of the Flyways and Highways Collective. If you are looking for the show about what's happening in the world of waterfowl, you are in the right place. From the sportsman's paradise capital of the world, I am your host, Aaron Head. Join with me in this endeavor is my co-host, Mr. Ryan Berthelot. Join us as we keep a pulse on the duck beat across our flyways. All right. Good evening there, buddy. Welcome back to another episode of the Southern Roost. We have one of our good person in the uh, world of genetics and duck hunting, Mr. Phil Lavretsky. So how's it going? Great. Happy to be here. Happy to talk about ducks and uh, duck conservation and duck genetics. Awesome. So I guess the purpose of why we're doing, I know our listeners already know, we're doing uh, this little brief kind of mini project on model ducks here in Louisiana. And uh, so we're trying to kind of figure out just the whole world of model ducks in, in reference. And so we have your specialty here being a literal duck geneticist to kind of fill us in on kind of the genetics of model ducks, how it differs from other mallard-like species, and just kind of your general background and research of duck genetics in, in general. And I run a waterfowl, well, I run a wildlife genetics lab here in uh, the University of Texas, El Paso. I'm associate professor here, uh, where we basically do anything and everything that's got DNA and and uh, and a bit of funding, you know. So so we help out with everything from this to snares, but our main focus is waterfowl and 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 deck specifically, and more even more specifically, my my focus is uh, mallard like ducks, which model ducks are part of American black ducks, Mexican duck, mallard. They're all part of this group of birds. There's actually 14 species of them all around the world, kind of a successful radiation. And that's what we study. We study them to understand how they became unique, what makes them unique. But then on top of it, you know, we, we use that information to inform conservation and management planning. I know a lot of people are like, how does genetics inform it? Well, the real thing that we do that we provide to agencies and others is to actually tell you what you're really working with. And that's where DNA and genetics comes into play is that, you know, what I would say is, is DNA is the only thing in life that doesn't lie. You know, you could look like something, you could act like something, but then when we look at the DNA, we're going to know exactly what you are. And you, you can think about it as like two snakes, they, look, they both have this red stripe and you're like, oh, they're both poisonous. And they both look the same, but really one's mimicking the other and they're not related at all. And so that allows us to really understand it, to determine, hey, these are actual hybrids, not things that we think they're hybrids just because they show certain traits. But they're like, these are real hybrids. This is what a model duck is. This is what an American black duck is. And then once we really hone in on that, uh, that understanding, we can actually make informed decisions on what really is happening on population. So that's kind of a broad thing. How did I get there? Um, I started hunting. So my, so my family's from Russia. My dad picked up a shot. We picked up a shotgun. And when I was probably six or seven, right around when he had just enough money for a shotgun, we, I grew up in Los Angeles, California. So not a lot of places to hunt, but he figured out a few different places and where we cut our, I guess, initially dove hunting and then eventually duck hunting teeth would be, um, uh, uh, Salton Sea, Worcester unit there. Um, that's where I pretty much spend every fall from the age of 10 to 16 to 18 until I went to UC Davis uh, in the Sac Valley of, of California. And, and that's where I really honed in my, my duck hunting skills. But yeah, my earliest memory was I was at Worcester. We were, I was probably eight and he let me have that 
12 gauge over and under and I shot a dove and that was probably the most expensive shot ever because that changed uh that pretty much put every dollar i have into hunting after that um at 10 i had we finally went on a duck on my first deck we were we were rocking out um after i missed a mallard and a buffet head went across and i dumped that i dumped her and that was my first duck and and uh away we went from there so yeah after that i went to uc davis and i majored in genetics the reason you think like oh why don't you just go into wildlife conservation well jurassic park I was like, oh, I could, ju- I could just c- bring dinosaurs back and be the first one to hunt them. That's not a reality. So, so yeah, gen- I took genetics. I took genetics, and um, I, I love this. I love genetics because it's the simplicity of it. I know people are like, how is that simple? But, it, but honestly, like the fact that you could have four codes, you know, A, G, C, T, and mix them up in the very, very different ways, you can have very specific things happen. Um, and that simplicity was really nice to me. But what wasn't interesting to me is like Drosophila and other and like human stuff. And I really, I, I really got jazzed up by talking about wildlife. So I'm, I minored in wildlife conservation. And initially at, at Davis, I did fisheries. I did fisheries for a while. Um, and while I love fishing, I prefer talking about ducks. Uh, so I went to Ohio at Wright State University to uh, to get my PhD in modified um, uh, population genetics. And the reason I wake up mallards is I, I sat down with my advisor at the time, and he's like, "Hey, what do you want to do?" I was like, "I don't know, ducks." And he's like, "Well, there are these mallard and mallard-like ducks that everybody tries to like figure out all the time, and they, nobody can. So maybe you can't either." I said, "I bet I can." And the way I went, and it's been, uh, I graduated, I got my PhD in 14, so it's almost been a decade, more or less, um, of me investigating and, and trying to uh, understand and, and provide information for the waterfowl community and, and the management community as well to, to, uh, about, about all of these uh, creatures and animals. Yeah, that's, that's sort of the sum up. I got you. So... So you do you remember any of your time in Russia? Like, do you remember? Do you actually? No, I was, I was, I was. We came in in '89. I was okay. three. Yeah, I, I had glimpse, you know. But then the question is always like, are they glimpse because your parents told you these stories and then you like created in your mind, or is it real? Hard to say. But yeah, no. And I actually was going back to Russia to go collecting for ducks, um, but for hopefully evident reasons all of my permits got revoked and nobody was going to go back to russia anytime soon and particularly the stories of like ex soviets that didn't serve in the army getting pulled to the front line so you know that that time for me i got you well, i'm sad and happy for you because every time i turn on the news yeah. in the morning it's like some new american gets arrested yeah. on, on accident or uh, right. so glimpses of russia and I'm really glad that you are safe here in America for sure. So we can still continue on the, uh, the studies <laughs> and research for sure. But uh, that's awesome. So California, cut your teeth on waterfowl for sure. And then I love the fact that it, you make genetics simple. Like really, it's only four letters, A, G, C, and T. And for those listening, those are just like proteins on a literally a, a strain of double helix DNA that makes up a bulk of everything that we do. I know whenever I was in... So most people know that, you know, background in pharmacy. And so I love the human side of stuff is how we did. <laughs> uh, I like 
so I always joke about veterinarians having the hardest field because like not only like so if you're a doctor or a pharmacist or whatever, you have one species you have to learn a lot about and treat. If you're a veterinarian, you got thousands upon thousands upon thousands of like, you know, different body systems, different types of animals. And then it's I can't even imagine. So I like the simple. <laughs> we got, you know, the the base pairs in a human genome. And that's all you got to know. And that's how you dictate some of your stuff for your pharmacy world. So that's right. So awesome. So then, so you got your doctorate, you said at Wright State? Yeah, Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio. Yeah. So I went from California where like you get, you know, any, any one day could be a completely different mixed bag of, of ducks to, to, you know, mallards and the occasional black duck and wood ducks early on. And and so that's when I was like, oh, I should become a whitetail hunter for a little bit. I got you. Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, Ohio is good. Uh, hit, totally hit or miss, you know, you got, you got Canada's coming in and you got mostly mallards if you got good, good weather pushing them off of Lake Erie. Um, but yeah, it was never, never anything like that. And, and from there, I essentially landed the job here in El Paso. And I remember my wife being like, how are you going to hunt ducks in El Paso? But to be fair, I'm sure, I think we're going to talk about this at the end. Actually, some of the best duck hunting would like, it's like California duck hunting with no pressure. Is is how is is how I I explain it and like yeah this year this last year I, I think my longest hunt was like an hour hour a uh, little bit over an hour before I got my limit it's it's pretty great and that's I, I was I, there. okay we're gonna have to definitely all right so I love the clickbait and the whole bait you just set for the audience <laughs> we're about to deep dive into genetics people but I want to talk about this most hunts you're done in an hour and then <laughs> anyway so we're gonna get back to this so Ryan would kill me if uh if i didn't mention like so he does a lot of out west duck hunting too he goes out to the um like the colorado river area where it borders mm-hmm. arizona and california and has you know done some hunting over there and he says same thing that you're mentioning that with further west you go like it's like no pressure and it's like the ducks get a little a little sillier so we'll hit on that here in a second so back to overall <laughs> genetics so here's yeah, the reason why we're here we're gonna about to deep dive into this world of mallard like genetics with the focus of sub focus on model ducks so again, people know why we're here doing this little mini series that for Louisiana duck hunters, you know, our season's going to, for bag limits is going to change on model ducks. It's going to be closed for the first time ever for the first 15 days. And after that, you can harvest only one duck a person. Previously, last season, it was one duck per person per day. And it's been like that for a long time. So I guess moving into model ducks is what we're going to get your focus on. I guess kind of explain kind of what are they? maybe like a genetic reason why they're non-migratory just kind of do like a little deep dive on model ducks and what you know yeah. with your research and field of study so yeah so model so the so your west what they're called are the west gulf coast model ducks so if, if right. folks don't know there's two types of model ducks they're florida model ducks obviously in florida and then the west gulf coast model ducks which uh range from louisiana through the coastal habitats of uh texas all the way through texas and so these two I think for subspecies now, these two subspecies are part of this thing that's called a, the mallard complex. And so in North America, uh, I think I'm, I sort of mentioned this, uh, we've got the mallard, American black duck, Mexican duck, and the two model ducks. Now, if you go outside of that, there's actually 13 of them. Um, you know, yellow bill ducks, African black, black ducks, and mallard duck in Africa, spot, two types of spot bill duck in, in Asia, um, and then throughout the Australasian Asian area, which would be the Philippine duck, the Pacific black duck, um, 
then the Laysan duck and the Hawaiian duck. All of them are part of this thing we call the mallard complex. We think that they sort of diverged out of Africa, so they sort of radiated out of Africa about a million years ago. And the mallard, it seems that all of our data suggests that the mallard invaded North America probably half a million years ago. And, and during the glacier events that occurred in North America, imagine like there's just green heads everywhere and then you split them up by glaciers. And then what happens is these pockets of mallards in the east, in Florida, in the West Gulf Coast region, which we know were glacier refugia, where species, like species ranges basically were pushed south as these glaciers formed and then they kind of pushed north as they, as they retreated through time. And so what happened is all these mallards essentially started to lose their green head for various reasons. We're going to dive into that. Lose their green head. And um, after a long period of time, the American black duck is the mallard that adapted to border forests. So they got darker, right? Um, the mallard duck, once continuous from Florida to West Gulf Coast, eventually got split off for a variety of reasons. And these two things started to, again, uh, lost their green heads and stuff and turned brown. And the same thing for Mexican duck. Essentially, there was a mallard that adapted to the Chihuahuan desert and now is kind of spreading everywhere. Um, and the real reason quick. that, yeah. So real quick, Russ, basically the, we're setting up the family tree real quick. So it's mallard, family tree, mallard. And then it went black duck probably. And then. Um, actually, it, it, it actually looks like it's almost simultaneous, right? So these glaciers, yeah, it was all mallard. Glaciers came in, and they got split. All these pockets got split out. Okay. At this almost at the same time, and then the ecologies of those regions, right? One became a desert. The others, these these uh, saline, brackish water regions, and then the boreal forest, or okay. used to be, but used to be the boreal forest before we cut it down. Right, so that's and all these things sort of adapted to that, right? So it's like a mallard adapting and then diverging and what and becoming what today what we consider these other species. So basically, like Darwinism is what the nerds would be nerd out with, like the Darwinism. Yeah, that, that's that's what happened, right? So you can imagine you got this boreal forest that's forming. Uh, like, what would be better to look like a black rock or a green head for an area predator, right? That's how I explain it. So that's why a black duck is so much darker than a modern duck or a Mexican duck is because there was this additional selection of this boreal forest where at the bottom, if you're like an aerial predator flying above the trees into the, and looking into these darker pockets, much easier to pick out something that's got a whole bunch of coloration than it is this black rock, right? So that's why males and females, what we call monochromatic, they look the same because they were both under this kind of the same selection to look darker and darker and darker. And that's what happened. Okay. And that's why they're, that's what, that's what they are. Um, I'll throw you back off, but yeah, keep going. <laughs> no, yeah. So, so, so the model deck, right? So that's how they, that's how the general hypothesis of how they came to be. And today, uh, the two model decks, the Florida model deck and the West Gulf Coast model deck is about 5% different genetically. Um, and so they're, all, they're the same distance apart as they are from the mallard. They're just the same. They're equally different from themselves as they are from the mallard. So that's quite strong. Um, uh, that's quite a bit, lot of differences. So that's 5%. So let's say American black duck is only 1.5%, right? And so 
they're about f- almost five times that of an American black duck versus a mallard. So they're quite different. And there's a lot of reasons for that, right? Like, they're, like we talked about, they're, they're adapted to this kind of brackish saline water, uh, completely different sort of ecology, but non-migratory. Right? There's no reason for that. They, they became non-migratory. I think you asked why did they become non-migratory. So you can imagine these glaciers uh, kind of moving up and down and these pockets of birds Essentially, you can imagine a bunch of mallards dropped out of migration, no need for that big green head because all you got are the same type of bird. And then essentially it turns into natural selection. Everybody just doesn't want to get eaten anymore. And so they turn brown. They lose those green heads and everything like that. And that's exactly what happened to the Mexican neck. And that's what happened to the model deck is that they just lost the green head. They became non-migratory. And then they sort of expanded in their own rights, in their own areas, right? So um awesome so yeah so that's that's sort of the background i mean that's so the model deck i would say the west Gulf coast model deck is is even more unique than an american black deck is genetically at least but they all have very much very specific genes that dictate that actually explain what they are and we've actually found them and described them in a few different papers um and we're hoping to we're actually about to publish a few papers where we're going to share. We're going to have the first full genome of all of these uh, of all of these guys. So we're pretty excited about that. Awesome. When do you think that might <clears throat> just rough rough estimate? So I can as quickly as my graduate student Flor Hernandez can write. Yeah, we're hoping uh, by the end of this year. Uh, if not early twenty four, yeah, hopefully watch out. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, we might include like yeah, a, we're excited a about little it. shot in that with the show notes or we so we do run a simultaneous <laughs> blog with this. Ryan's in charge of writing the blog. So we could probably click do a little quick abstract link to it and uh that's probably what we'll Perfect. do when we're publishing this stuff. So freaking that's that's so very fascinating. I would never have guessed it was glaciers chopping all these suckers up and then putting them here. But I'm glad that, you know, I always thought model ducks are like special. Like for some reason, you know, Louisiana hunters if you hunt the Gulf coast, you get kind of accustomed to them. Like, and it's just kind of like if we ever shoot a black duck, it's like a super treat, but like yeah, yeah. our backdoor duck that we live here, <laughs> we see year round. It's like, but truly this proves that they're even more special than black ducks genetically. You know, they're, uh, you yeah, know. No, they're, they're, they are all, all of them are actually quite unique genetically and their ecology and behavior and the plumage, you know, what they look like. I mean, when you, I understand that a lot of people are like, oh, it's a head mallard. Actually, they're, they're nothing like a head mallard. None of them are like a head mallard. And once you start looking at them like we have, you know, we found there's highly distinguishable features between all of these guys. And, um, yeah, and, and we're hoping to continue to, you know, showcase those, those uniqueness and the importance of them um, as a waterfowl species of North America, especially. Awesome. So I know you mentioned briefly kind of before we were talking, uh, before the show started recording about you, you do have a study kind of ongoing in Louisiana, a piece of it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. So we, um, we got contacted by Joe Marty who was working in Louisiana and then he's, I think with TPWD now, but he contacted us, uh, also asking the same question, like, Hey, you know, there's, there's been a, a big concern for a long time that hybridization with mallards was the, the driving force between that potentially could cause the extinction of like black, the genetic extinction of black ducks and model ducks and Mexican okay. ducks. And <clears throat> our work 
actually, and, and a lot of that comes from plumage. You know, people looking at a bird and being like, oh, it's got green in the head or a curly tail or white on the wing bar. Uh, hopefully your, your listeners know what I'm talking about. And they're like, oh, that's a hybrid. But actually, once we started to look, use genetics to say what it really was, what we were finding is that all of those, tra- almost all of those traits were not distinct, not indicative of a hybrid. Like what we use to identify hybrids is just, it's, it's, it doesn't work. So for example, uh, my, my colleagues in Florida created a field key for Florida model deck. And for a long time, they were like, oh, it's going to go extinct because of hybridization. But actually the key aspect that they were always looking at, which was this white, the amount of white in the wing bar, I'm pretty sure it's the same for West Gulf Coast. Uh, the, when they were calling them hybrids, actually just just naturally exist amongst 10% of the pure population of model decks there. Right? And so if you didn't know anything about genetics, you'd just be like, oh, 10% of them are hybrids. But in fact, now genetics allows us to say, no, the, these, the, all of these traits are part of the group. And in fact, we found the same exact thing uh, in, in, in black decks, we found that the traits that people are using to identify hybrids are only 60% accurate, right? Okay. So, so it's almost a flip of the coin. Same thing with Mexican decks. They thought they were genetically extinct. And voila, we found 0% hybridization south of the border. Um, and then hybridization between uh, Mexican decks and mallards really being confined to urban areas north of the border. It existed, but it's, it, it's quite com- con- confined like a same thing with, situation yeah exactly same thing with model decks we find a bit less than five percent in for west Gulf coast model decks um in uh, this 2019 paper ford et al out of lsu did a did a, a much larger study also found about five percent so that was really nice to just get like a completely different study to vet us um but about five percent is actually what we see amongst bird Bird groups, groups of birds that are closely related. That's what we typically see anyway. So it's, it's kind of a natural rate. And so we don't actually find all of this hybridization between any of these kind of what, we, what people coin as dusky ducks, these brown ducks, and the mallard. And so, again, genetics allowed us to actually say, oh, yeah, these things are showcasing these mallard-like traits, but actually it's due to the fact that they're and that the mallard was the ancestor and all of these traits are still within the kind of like a random set. Sometimes if I mated with her, my kids might show some green in the head, but if I mated with her, my kids don't, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's still there in the gene pool. And in fact, what we're finding across all of the groups is that it's the hot year, first year males that show green, all these mallard like traits, males, and then, like, it's in their second year that all, if they survive into their second year, all of a sudden they look like a per- perfectly good Mexican duck or a perfectly good model duck or a perfectly good American black duck. It's, it's like they're um, teenagers and they can't control their testosterone. And so they're kind of like showcasing all sorts of weird stuff. And then when they become an adult and ready to breed, they just they control their testosterone. This is actually the mechanism we think it is. And all of a sudden, voila, they, they, they look like a perfectly good model duck. Um, when they go through their molt cycle, anyways. Um, so yeah, so so that so we were contacted to do a, an additional study in I think nineteen or twenty, and so we got uh, I think fifty birds out of Louisiana. I forget 
exactly the location, but actually we found no hybrids. We found one mallard. One of, one of them was a mallard, but they knew it was a mallard. They just kind of threw it in there. Um, I think <laughs> for us to find, be like, can they find it? And we found it. Um, and then the rest of them were model ducks, and they were perfectly good model ducks. So again, we find in this case, 0% hybridization rate, which is phenomenal, right? Um, that means that's what's telling us is that, yeah, there are model ducks in this location, and they're probably more likely than not mallards in the location, but something's stopping them from interbreeding at a high level, at least. I'm sure they interbreed, but they don't interbreed at a very high level it, because if they did, we should have found, found them, right? If you have babies, then your genetics should be out there. If you don't have babies, the genetics is, won't be there because you didn't pass it on that way. So Nothing to put it on, right? Exactly. So, so the fact that, you know, that's a pretty good sample set. And, and again, they look like perfectly good model decks. So that was really good to see. Um, and that study is actually an extension of this uh, uh, study that we got in Texas, where I think Texas is sort of seeing um, as a collaboration between us and Texas Parks and Wildlife and U.S. Fish and Wildlife. Um, and, and folks there, I think, got rattled because what they were, when they were doing a census out there, they were also seeing a decline in population numbers along the coast, Right. But what was interesting to them is that when they came interior, all of a sudden they were starting to pick up brown ducks. And so the question for them, were, and, and the weird thing is, is that when they were just doing their like sort of baseline numbers, the amount of ducks they were losing on the coast, they were finding interior. Okay. And, and so, so these are very different things, right? If it's a population crash, well, that's one thing. But if it's a, if it's a, a, a movement, a shift, yeah, then that's a completely different thing, right? Management-wise, um, that's a completely different thing. So they came to me and been like, "What? we need to know whether these are monoducks, whether we're like looking at who knows what, maybe they're Mexican ducks, right? Um, and so, yeah, so we have this big study and lo and behold, <laughs> all the way up to about San Antonio, monoducks. Wow. Just like... Okay. Perfectly good model ducks, but what's wild is there is this zone of model duck Mexican duck hybrids, and then as you get to the Rio Grande, they're a Mexican duck. And so what's happening is both of them are actually coming into this um, this 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 habitat. I guess you can call it. I don't know if you've ever been in the West Texas, but it's made of game preserves, right? Lots of game preserves. Yeah. And when, when I started collecting out there and like seeing it, it totally made sense. There are these wonderful ponds that nobody shoots at. And there's corn, feeders, everywhere. I saw, <laughs> I saw model ducks and Mexican ducks at every single pond, right? Pairs everywhere. So what, was, what, what appears to be occurring at least in Texas, and potentially it might actually occur in Louisiana, um, is, is a shift, which is a completely different thing, right? I mean, you have to, like, what's probably most likely, this is still a hypothesis happening, uh, you know, deterioration of habitat and the coastal habitat is causing these birds to look for new habitat. And I guess fortunate for them, they found it. Um, and now they're expanding in that area. Now, how we treat, how we treat this Mexican duck, model duck situation, that's, a, that's the next question. But for, for, um, for TPWD, I think I think they've been pretty excited about the fact that you know they've got new areas where they can start counting birds, and that's again 
genetics, put dots on a map and showcased, yes, what you were looking at over here are model ducks, what you're looking over here are Mexican ducks. Now, ma direct management, having direct management implication, guiding where, where TPWD is going to start flying, where they're counting, all of these things are going to be impacted by, by, by this study. Wow. So like, so first and foremost, so like, just like you mentioned, I got in genetics was for Jurassic Park, like the famous line from that movie, <laughs> life, life will find a way. The model yeah, model that found a way, sure. at least in Texas. <laughs> so, yeah, so like um, we interviewed Owen Best, uh, one of my good friends, you know, he's the uh, head waterfowl manager for the state of Louisiana and real big East work for Texas Parks Wildlife, real big researcher for uh, model ducks and banding and that kind of thing. He was like giving us insight. So South of I-10 in Louisiana, you could have, just like you mentioned, like saltwater marshes, brackish marshes, freshwater marshes, transition and interspersed with rice fields. And we find that as hunters, right. like, we'll see model ducks loaded in, coming in with teal during teal season in a rice field. That's the favorite place to hunt teal at for most people. We do hunt them in marshes, of course, but you could blow them out and then they transition over to that rice, the uh, marsh area, I mean, because yeah. of the pressure and there's less hunting out in the deeper pockets of the marsh, you know, for certain areas. So I think and I know we talking with Owen, we have a greater habitat loss issue in Louisiana than Texas does. Of course, I think all the yes. are losing habitat, unfortunately, but it seems like hopefully the model ducks have settled on a population and they're just trying to find ways to survive just like any other animal would. Is that kind of what you're, you're seeing? Yeah. I mean, at least in Texas, you know, someone you might want to reach out to, I know Owen's got a bunch of birds with, with telemetry units or GPS units or, right. um, but another person would be Kevin Ringelman out of LSU. He's he's doing a whole bunch of model duck work um, in Louisiana, obviously. Um, so he could probably give you a better okay. indication of what these birds are really doing. But yeah, I mean, if if they're doing what Texas birds are doing, yeah, they're they're fine. They're trying to find a way. And and obviously, with your guys uh, having all the rice fields and and other locations with you know quite a bit of water, hopefully they're just shifting. You know, and and again, that's a completely different management and conservation problem than the population decline and so you sort of sometimes hope it's just a shift but you know does that a uh, first generation you said that zone between san antonio and the rio grande border where you said you had like the 50 50 mix of like model ducks, yeah. and, ducks and hybrids does a i know some species if you interbreed sometimes you can't reproduce is that the case with uh no it's not the case okay. no it's not the case not, you know to be fair it's not the case for most of the duck groups right for whatever, for there's a lot of reasons, but yeah. you know, the interesting thing is that waterfowl are one of the oldest groups of, of birds. You know, they're the closest relative to dinosaurs. So I guess I'm, it's like I'm working with a, with a, like chickens, with a like velociraptor. That, that with chickens. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, um, but for, for a variety of reasons, and this, this is sort of the case from almost all bird complexes, you know, all the groups that are closely related. And within ducks, they almost 60% of all species can hybridize with something and, and for, and be and are fertile, have high hybrids that are fertile. So, but what's, what causes the breakdown isn't fertility. Usually it's a sort of mating, which is, which means like the, the female is choosing a male. And so a hybrid usually looks spotty and not quite right. And so the likelihood of, of him getting chosen versus somebody, versus a, a pure model deck is much lower, right? Okay. And so, and so that's the idea is that 
the like hybridization definitely happens and it can occur, but oftentimes it stops. But in this case, where there was this new influx or low population sizes, yeah, essentially everybody breeds with everybody because that's all you got. In the end, ducks breed, <laughs> no matter what. There's nothing with mallards and mallard like ducks. Um, and so if you look, you look like me, good enough, so to speak. I got you. So, yeah. Yeah. So, not so <laughs> yeah. So, they're, they're, it's not just confined to like a first generation hybrid. Yeah. We find the entire gamut of hybrids. That means hybrids are breeding with hybrids and hybrids are breeding back to monoliths and Mexican ducks and all sorts of things are happening. And, and, and that's the case across the board and, and um, amongst these, amongst these kind of mallard like ducks and other, other, avian species and again for a variety of reasons they can still do that even though they're, sh they're quite old in time for sure so kind of uh, really glad you shared all that info with us so it's like our, all of our hunches have always been it's more of a habitat issue for model ducks and versus they're going to find a way to survive just like any anything else so uh, great to hear that uh hopefully we get some, i'm going to get some people on from uh, louisiana see if we can kind of dial in on uh, their issue more here, of course, for sure. So moving into some kind of some fun stuff. Um, so is there anything like a uh, Louisiana hunters you think could, could do to help uh, model ducks or, you know, in general ducks, mallard like ducks, in general, but mainly focusing on the model ducks in general, either help your research directly or just in general to help the population out. You think? Yeah, man, we're, we're, um, we are always looking for folks to, to partner up with and help, uh, these days financially um but but a big, i mean it's not it's not cheap to run, to do what i do um but but when we you know yes so so every time i do one of these podcasts i always i always say hey if you're a hunter and you've got an interesting bird we will find a way to get you data right if you've got something interesting you're like man what is this thing send us some tissue send us a tongue some breast tissue get in contact with me and we're happy to run the genetics and, and tell you what they are, you know. Um, we're going to continue to do that for for, for for as long as we can. Obviously, we're, we're always looking for help, financial help. And um, hopefully I can send you a couple links and you can you yeah. can put it here so folks can, can take a look at it. But yeah, what we're, what we're actually moving towards is, is uh, trying to create an application Initially for, for um, banding crews and state and federal agencies. But once we vet it, it's, it's this application that's going to be AI driven. Okay. And what we're doing is feeding this thing a bunch of pictures of model ducks and mexican ducks and mallards. Um, so it starts to di find differences amongst these species, right? And what we've, what we've already achieved is 90% accuracy. With a picture, we can get species sex, age, plumage, and genetic probability, whether it's a hybrid or not. And what we need is hunters to, to get us tissue and, and to get us pictures because we've got a good number of model books between, uh, from that study that we, we talked about there in Texas Pets and Wildlife. But really, we need like probably another 100 model books okay. with good picture and genetics. And um, we can start to build this, this tool that we hope we could actually provide to hunters. Imagine if you could be in a in the blind, you take a picture and it's like, oh, this is a model duck. And you know that it's a model duck, 100%. Um, you know, that's, but then the, uh, the flip side is if it's a hybrid, maybe 
maybe one day hybrids don't count against your bag, right? This is a tool that we might be able to go, um, we might fine tune management efforts. Again, I'm not, I don't create laws. I don't create management. I just provide data as I've been always told. So these are just things that I've thought about, but, but it will, it will be up to the state and federal agencies to, to see what, it, if they think that there's a, uh, validity in this tool, but I think it'll standardize the way that we all look at these things, how we identify them, help hunters, help our band, you know, help our federal and state agencies, but we need the data, right? Okay. Um, can't, can't build anything without data. So if you, if hunters are out there and they're willing to, to contact me, get me some tissues some pictures, some measurements, um, uh, I will be grateful for it. Awesome. So yeah, we'll, include fantastic. Some, uh, we'll include a little spill there at the end. You can, you'll be able to sh- like share your contact info at the end here. And uh, I'll also try to include in the show notes of this uh, episode. I'll get those emailed to me. Those like links. Absolutely. Directly to yeah, them. no, thank Making you. Their life easy for sure. Yeah, no. And then you can call yourself a hunter researcher. That's where. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, so our season, last season personally goes, you know, I do teal season, then duck season, and then it's banding season. So for sure, I try there to you always, you know, I've always been taught, you know, give back anywhere you can. Like this is a resource. Absolutely. We can't just like take, 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 take without trying to give even a little bit back, whether that's teaching somebody something new, bringing a new yeah. waterfowler into this world. Uh, we always try to preach that here at the show. Uh, no, absolutely. That's fantastic. So definitely this is going to be a great, great opportunity for sure. Um, and I actually, I wanted to, to throw in a plug. Uh, yeah, I, sure. I, I, I'll send this into you, but we're actually first time this, um, this fall, fall 2023, where I'm going to have an online waterfowl ecology and management course through UTEC. Okay. We've got uh, four professionals that could just take it for certificates, undergrad and grad students that could take it for certificate plus uh, credit. But we are going uh, 100%. It's going to be 100% online. It's going to be in English and Spanish. Um, and we're going to dive deep into the world of waterfowl. And you're going to learn everything, at least everything I know, which isn't that much. But oh, hopefully, uh, um, but yeah, uh, everything from, you know, kind of what that, what makes waterfowl so unique, so special, where they came from, how they came to be, to uh, the history of waterfowl conservation uh, and and the future of waterfowl conservation and you know every ecology obviously of waterfowl. So hopefully, a uh, few listeners can sign up so we have, can have a banner uh, semester and and uh, my university thinks that it's a great idea. <laughs> Heck yeah, that's that's you know I look back so I went to University of Louisiana Monroe uh, for all seven years for for pharmacy start to finish for undergrad plus pharmacy school and it's we didn't have anything near what you know it's funny how life changes you get into the different hobbies throughout your your life and i would have loved something like that when i was in college for sure to kind of peak you know nothing for my direct major obviously but just you know i can i can imagine instead of taking a music appreciation i could jump in <laughs> for sure you might have especially out there in, in texas you know the big hunting, hunting community that they have all over hopefully that gets full for y'all for sure i and hope so moving into the fun stuff so as i alluded to earlier in this podcast so you're telling me out in El Paso, they shoot ducks. We, we do it. We do it. I, I hunt mostly in New Mexico. Um, I've, got, I've got a few spots, but yeah, no, it's uh, every, every time I go out, it's completely different. This year we had so much water. It was, I was actually shooting at waist deep water with uh, flooded timber with mallards coming through it. Never thought I'd do that in a wow. desert. 
Uh, it was super weird. Um, but yeah, the, the, at the end, you know, we've got uh, these, the, the back end of where I hung, you know, turns into this beautiful marsh. And so you just put layout lines. Some years it's just like chock full of origin, gara, teal, pinto, mallards, Mexican ducks. You know, we always get a few Mexican ducks. Now it's, it's most, most, and most hunts are, especially in the morning, you know, and as long as I'm shooting straight, uh, are, are like an hour <laughs> or less. I've had a few over like 20 minutes and the sun's not even out. I'm like, oh, I probably should have waited, but I, it's hard for me. I I, I'm from California on, on, on public land. It's, if you've ever hunted there with all those other people and it's like, you know, if you don't shoot that guy over there is going to shoot at 200 yards and, and that mentality is hard to break. So it's like, you're sitting there and all these teal are just like falling in and, you know, ridging and saying, you're like, oh, if I just read the mallards will come, but you're just like, you know what? I'm here to hunt ducks and I just start shooting. I mean, for sure. I mean, like here in Louisiana on WMAs, if you don't get there in the good ones the day before, <laughs> And like camp all day Friday. Yeah, you know, right. Say, like, exactly. The spot. So yeah, I'm sure. I totally feel that. So I guess alluding to, we're not going to name drop, pin drop. We don't want to crowd your spots out at all. But is this some public, mostly 100% public land you do over in that part? Yeah, it's all public land. It's all BLM land. Yep. Wow. Okay. So, <laughs> so yeah. So I mean, people, if y'all want to do some, your on X on scouting, just you know, we're not going <laughs> to share nothing with you. But I mean, apparently, there's places you can do some. I, mean, I haven't shot a, a widgeon in uh no i lie i shot some in texas so oh yeah louisiana it's been a while since i shot a widgeon in louisiana so awesome. do they not go you don't see them huh we we do it's just uh where we hunt i hunt mainly like coastal marsh area with the occasional like rice field mixed in mm. and it's just i know in places in north louisiana that get them pretty consistently like around catahoula lake and things like yeah, that yeah. And, and, and different the different habitats we we do shoot some i've definitely shot some in the marsh before it's you know that's why i love duck hunting it's like you never know what you're gonna get you know it's just never know what you're gonna get that yeah that, that's exactly it i mean like yeah ohio that's that's what happened in ohio i was like guys ah, mallards and so i like the variety where you just don't know what's gonna what's gonna come to your spread and and that's the fun part man i know i like that uh, and it's it. big, it's big water, like it's big water, but it's mush water. And, and that's what I grew up on. And that's what I, you know, nice spread and, and these birds, you know, there's nobody around me and I can, I, you know, it took me a couple of years to like not shoot them all, you know, like the first second that they were in range and actually let them work. Cause again, California mentality is just like, Oh God, they're in range. Shoot. Um, right. But yeah, no, it's fun. It's a good time. For sure. So, um, I know getting to this podcast, of course, no one's got to know, know the details, but you know, our schedules are both very busy. And you, know, <laughs> you went to American Samoa for a little bit. Was that for fun or was that for genetic? No, no, that was for research. We have a, we have a field site there, uh, where we're, uh, catching, branding, at least attempting to Pacific black ducks. There's a small population out there and fish and wildlife is interested in them. So we are doing, yeah, so like we're a genetics lab, but we're our motto is field to gene. Um, so so out there we're doing everything from habitat assessment to catching these birds, and then when we do catch these birds, we do the genetic assessment of them. Uh, but we're also putting telemetry units, understanding how they're using habitat and movement and all that good stuff. So yeah, we've, I've got we're about seven people out there right now still. Um, so they're there till till uh, end of July, and uh, praying that they. They come back. 
<laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a different world, man. It's a different world. Uh, on this like tiny five five mile diameter island, um, catching birds in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Sometimes people go nuts, you know. Um, it's yeah, a it's an interesting place, man. It's in that you know you're it's you're right at the equator. It's just always hot and humid. Although Louisiana is probably that way. Um, and uh, it's you know we're in a jungle. It's weird. It's a completely different thing. It's fun. Um, but you know that's what this whole all my research has allowed me to do is you know reach and go ask answer questions where the questions are, and I'm happy to do it. Beautiful. So what's the uh, so kind of a two loaded part question? Um, furthest place you've gone for like your malaria genetic studies, and maybe the coolest, your favorite place, coolest place, and it could be where you're at now too. No, nothing's a bad answer. <laughs> Uh, furthest. I don't know what is furthest. Either New Zealand or I guess either Namibia or South Africa. Wow. One of those. Awesome. Uh, depending depending on which way I guess you go. Uh, New Zealand. I love New Zealand. It's it's beautiful. It's its own country. It's just it's its own place, man. It's just the people are great. The country's great. It's awesome hunting. Um. On my when I'm working at scientific collecting, uh, it's it's awesome. It's really good. It's it's a cool place. I like that place. I get to go. I am I'm actually going to Ramsey to Australia in November, so I'm quite excited about that. So we'll see. That'll be my first time on on Australian soil. So we'll see how that is. But yeah, so far New Zealand's been top notch stuff. I like that. Awesome. Um, so I know we mentioned about we love the bag of tricks. Never know what we're going to get in our spread. Like my favorite, <laughs> my favorite ducks uh, to harvest. I love dogri, which is like scop here in Louisiana. Uh-huh. We call them dogri, and then shovel. I've never heard that. I've never. Oh, shovies. Yeah. Well. Uh, th- that's my that's my favorite. And I, <laughs> and I know. So I literally, I guess, came back from a Disney trip. Uh, we made my wife, yeah. and so they have all the kind of ducks in there. And to be honest, like I know there's other species of shovelers in the world, but I, I laid my eyes on my first red shoveler, and I'm like, oh, I gotta, I gotta have one. Like, so I know. <laughs> so then you start looking up where they are, and you can't hunt them in Australia anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, but it's like the other yeah. main places, New Zealand. So I have a feeling sometime in, the, in eventually, at some point in my career, I'm gonna make my little migration over there and uh, see if yeah. I can't do something like that. I so, hope you do. I'll bring me with you. There you go. Heck yeah. <laughs> we, we, we both know Ramsey. Maybe Ramsey will take us both if he's listening to this. There you go. That would be awesome. Um, yeah, no, that, that's uh, yeah. So I got to get. I remember I was in New Zealand, and we were uh, waiting on some some um, New Zealand, some gray ducks and and some mallards that we were shooting, and I saw the those shovies coming in. It was a pair, and they were sky high. And I told everybody, I was like, I'm going to kill those two. And they were probably 70 yards, and I dumped both of them. I was just like, those are mine. That's <laughs> solid. Um, but they're, and now they're in my museum and part of our, and our, part of our uh, biological biodiversity collection here at the University of Texas, El Paso. Um, so, you know, for the future of research. So for folks to do, to do, uh, yeah, someone's do work gotta on. do the job. Someone's got to do it. Someone's got to take those shots to, <laughs> to make the research happen. You know, yeah. All, all that work in California, all that busting, uh, gave me the opportunity to take those two. <laughs> well, well, phenomenal. So we're here at the kind of conclusion of this. So, um, given uh, our our listeners here in Louisiana and really all across all flyways, but you know, some hope for model ducks. I mean, it, we do, we know we have a coastal problem in Louisiana, and so we're going to do 
you know, our part we can to protect this resource. And, you know, it, we're going to be mad at first at our first year with the, you know, we can't shoot them for the first 15 days, but you know, there's a reason. So we can keep shooting them for yeah, years. Exactly. And so uh, anything it's better to be, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely better to be cautious than to be sorry. I mean, you know, it, it always sucks, but you know, you got to figure it out before you, you say like, ah, it's all good or not. You know, you gotta, you gotta know what's actually happening for sure. For sure. Anything in the uh, waterfowl genetics pipeline? I know you talked about numerous studies you got going forward, but is there anything oh, God. that like you, I know for, for those that haven't listened, I know you've been on other podcasts before, like big honker. I know you've been on Ramsey's. If you haven't heard Ramsey Russell's podcast, I'm going to plug him again. Like the it's called a uh, just a mallard, like question mark. It's phenomenal that it would, it would go into a whole nother hour on why the South doesn't get mallards anymore. And we're not going to do that now. I want y'all to, to <laughs> I, I got to say, this is the first podcast that's that you didn't go to go into the mallard, uh, de- you know, par- despair, you know, because you know, <laughs> guess what? I've recent, not recently, but I've been doing this for, I've been into waterfowl hunting, you know, six, seven years tops. And I've always, you know, been in an outdoor person, but, to be honest, like we don't get the mallards in my so yeah, I, don't, not I, don't, anymore. I don't I don't know what I'm missing because I came after the mallards quote unquote stopped arriving, you know? Yeah, so, right, right. So to me it's it's a treat when I get a mallard and I'm happy for anything that comes in, you know. I, but I'm out there yeah. for more than just, you know, collecting greenheads. I'm out there for the whole experience start to finish. That's right. That's yeah. that's 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 my mentality at least. So yeah, so to plug other people that uh, support our show and everything, go listen to Ramsey's just a mallard. You can get a, a big um answer to mallards in the south their history their migratory status from basically you talked about it with ramsey in detail i don't want to steal any of his thunder of course but who knows he might be on the podcast in the future then we can do our own little deep dive in it too so uh for sure absolutely and so um any so we'll go ahead and move into the connection so i know you mentioned uh previously about all those studies and handles uh, i guess the easiest way for people to, people to contact you to reach out for one of those projects and we'll include in the show notes those like detailed websites of course and stuff like that that make their life easier but any like what's your overall easiest way to contact you yeah the easiest way is email uh it's p Levretsky, which is like gretzky with love so it's l-a-v-r-e-t-s-k-y at utep u-t-e-p dot e-d-u and you can just shoot me an email and uh, we'll start chatting. Um, the other way is if you can't remember that, you know, just Google Phil, Dr. Phil, Dr. Phil Lebretsky, uh or Dr. Phil Dex Genetics. I'm sure it'll come up. Or Lebretsky Lab, UTEP, all of that will come up. Um, yeah, shoot me an email. Get in contact. Happy to chat anytime. And uh, again, we're always looking for partners, both for sampling, for financial. Um, so, and, and obviously if you're a hunter, uh, I'm happy to just, ch- ch- uh, you know, talk shop and talk about all the different hunts. Awesome. So there you go, people. If anybody's looking for a way to give back, uh, I know Dr. Phil here, he's, uh, <laughs> and, and not the, uh, not the, the consultationist or, uh, the, the shrink, but the, uh, Jeanette. Duck- well, I'll ch- I'll just charge you a little bit more for the shrinking part. There you go. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so we got him. If you were looking for a reason to get back to this uh, wonderful world, wonderful world of waterfowl we love, and uh, this would be some great research you can get on. You can be a little little piece of that with the, your con- financial contribution, or just your time, or if you send a picture of something cool to help build this future website to help us all for sure. All right, uh, so we'll go ahead and close it out here. So this is a Southern Roost. We're signing off for the evening. So, uh, Doctor Phil, we appreciate you being on here for sure, man. Man, I appreciate you having me. Awesome, signing off. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Southern Roost, the podcast show for the Flyways and Highways Collective. 
connect with us by searching Flyways and Highways on Instagram or Facebook. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review on wherever you get your podcast from. It really does make a difference. Tell a friend about our show. Even better, bring someone new into our beloved duck culture. Till next time, this is the Southern Roost, signing off.